Welcome to episode 62 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, is the pack half full or half empty? How you answer that question may determine your experience on the trail. We'll share five tips for new backpackers that will help ensure that your next trip will be even better than your last. Then, on the Summit Gear Review, a solution for hikers who don't want to waste a minute fumbling with shoelaces. On the Backpack Hack of the Week, an oh-duh solution to keep your homemade meals from tipping over. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend, Henry. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Well, Josh, I know if I were to ask you if the glass was half full or half empty, you would most likely say half full. And in the case of backpacking, uh, emptier is better, I guess. (laughs) Well, I guess regardless if your pack is half full or half empty, it's really the same volume that you're talking about. It's a math thing, right? Yeah, it's all the same. (laughs) All right, so what about optimism on the trail? I know this is something that I haven't always been really stellar at, and I have lots of stories to back it up, but I haven't always been a pack half full kind of hiker. I guess that means you should share a story now. Well, this wasn't a backpacking trip. It was a little hiking adventure that we went on probably around the time that we were first married. Wouldn't you say, like, within the first year or so? Uh, or maybe a little bit before we were married. Okay. Well, we went on this little hiking adventure, and Josh set out this blanket, and I'm pretty sure we had a picnic or something. Mm-hmm. We did that kind of thing a lot. <laughs> but in this particular area, there were more mosquitoes than I was really comfortable with. And it kind of was like the world was closing in on me. And I just felt kind of swarmed by all these mosquitoes. You, on the other hand, seemed totally oblivious to the mosquitoes. And I know they were landing on you just as much as they were landing on me. But I ended up just freaking out at all these mosquitoes. And I took the blanket and I threw it over myself to protect myself. And I stayed huddled there for probably the rest of the time that we picnicked there. This was a rowboat ride at the Arboretum in Seattle. You can rent the rowboats from the University of Washington where their rowing crew docks. Then you can row your way around through some, I guess, some water inlets and kind of uh, more swampy areas around the edge of Lake Washington. And so, of course, there are mosquitoes. And I guess to me, that was just to be expected. No big deal. You just put up with some mosquitoes. And maybe your blood was sweeter. I don't know. But uh, yeah, you're right. We were both in the same situation. We both had the mosquitoes around us, but we both reacted differently. And I think it was just based on different experience and different expectations. Well, I have to say, not to brag, but that was some first-class whining that I uh, produced there. (laughs) (laughs) I was definitely channeling my inner nine-year-old self, maybe even younger than that. Maybe a two-year-old or (laughs) three-year-old. Yeah, so how do we stay optimistic on the trail? I mean, I guess we've established the point that 
our attitude on the trail really makes a difference in our experience. Oh, definitely. That's something we talk about frequently on the first 40 miles. Attitude really does make a huge difference, not only on the trail, but in life. Yeah. Well, I feel like this conversation leads us to our top five list today because we want to talk about how to overcome a negative experience and follow it up with a positive experience when you're backpacking. And so today's top five list is the top five ways to have a great time backpacking, even if you didn't like it the first time. I think I was extra lucky in that my first experience backpacking was stellar, life-changing, amazing, pick any superlative you want to. However, some of my hiking experiences when I was younger weren't that great, and even as an adult. So I did, I did have some of those issues following me into backpacking, but there are some people who start backpacking and after the first trip are just not as enamored as I was. Yeah, and it's too bad because maybe you've bought some gear and then you go out on this first trip and you're like, wow, that just wasn't really as, uh, you know, amazing as I had dreamed it up to be, being out in the wilderness and all that. It ended up just being really uncomfortable and I'm not sure I want to do that again, but I just bought all this gear. Well, the number one way to have a great time backpacking, even if you didn't like it the first time, is to figure out what's normal. So if you had a rough experience, listen to what other people are saying about the trip. If they use words like unseasonable or freak or swarm or stampede, torrent, uncharacteristic or brutal, that may give you a clue that it wasn't just tough for you. It was tough for everyone else on that trip. Now, that doesn't give you open season to just air all your complaints, but it may give you just a glimmer of hope that things can and probably will be better next time. Yeah, if people who have been out there before or people who get out all the time backpacking are saying these things that, wow, yeah, that was a tough trip or that was a really lousy week to be out or whatever, that helps you to just put your experience in perspective and say, okay, I guess I'll try this again, and I guess I'll know that that experience was, uh, was abnormal. There was something different about it for everyone, not just me. And there's a good chance that some of the people on the trip enjoyed that. Like, they really got a kick out of the freak snowstorm or, you know, having their stuff chewed through by a rodent. They just thought, oh, that's just stories to tell, stories to tell. Mm-hmm. But um, maybe you weren't as excited by those things that happened. We took a camping trip right after we were married, and it was kind of early in the spring, maybe March, April. And we thought we would go up to a Forest Service campground on the east side of the Cascades. Well, they weren't even close to being open yet. Plenty of snow on the passes. You know, we were just a long ways from true camping season there in in the upper Cascades. We ended up down along the Columbia River, where I had to get out several times that night to repitch the tent because the wind was so strong. And, well, that wasn't a great camping trip. In fact, that was your first camping trip after we got married. And maybe if we had a better idea of what was normal, we would have realized that we had probably just picked the wrong itinerary at the wrong time. The number two way to have a great time backpacking, even if you didn't like it the first time, is to write your experience. You can make it as raw, as unfiltered, and detailed and descriptive as you want to. And really, it can be as simple as an email written to yourself or kind of a bulleted list that you keep in a notebook as you hike. That can be fun to look back on because uh, later you might look back on something you wrote down and go, wow, 
That was really challenging for me. I can tell it was by the way I wrote it down. And yet today, that's not a challenge anymore. I'm fine with that particular situation or whatever happened. And then it's really cool to look back and see that you've grown, that your skills have increased and things that used to be a big challenge for you, you can deal with them just fine now. I remember coming back from Gem Lake. It was this hike that we went on after we'd been dating only a few months. And it was five miles in, five miles out. And by the end of the hike, every part of me just ached. And I was not in really great shape. I felt like it was going to take me weeks to recover from that hike. So when I got home, I was sitting in bed and decided that I was going to write up the entire experience with colorful detail. And I shared it with Josh the next day and he just laughed. And I could tell it was something that wasn't as hard for him, but that was so, so, so hard for me. And looking back, 10 miles, that's not, that's not a difficult hike for me anymore. And so I can see the progress and I'm really happy that I'm not so whipped by a 10 mile hike anymore. Yeah. Now you're at a point where you can do 10 miles with a full pack on in one day and ready to go the next day and do it for a week. It's cool to see that growth. And especially for me, whenever I get joint problems, like I I go out on a hike and I have a knee that kind of hurts when I'm done then I instantly start having those thoughts just because I'm at that age now where I'm like, oh, is is this a new pain that's going to be with me for the rest of my life? And I'm, it's all downhill from here, you know, and, and, you know, I've reached my peak and now it just gets worse. <laughs> and it's a terrible thought to have. And what's cool is I've realized that, no, that pain is not going to be a permanent new piece of, of my experience. Um, Because if I can go back out and keep hiking, I realize that that joint, that knee will strengthen. And it's really fun to see that growth, whether it's more of the, uh, you know, like the emotional growth that we were kind of talking about in terms of dealing with experiences or literally physical growth as your body strengthens and becomes more adapted to those trips that you're taking. The number three way to have a great time backpacking even if you didn't like it the first time, is to increase your preparedness. So you've written some notes, you've thought about your past experience, and now it's time to really be proactive and prepare for your next trip. I guess it's kind of like that saying, if you've fallen off a horse, get back up on. <laughs> yeah, really, just especially if it's summertime and you're in prime backpacking season, Get back out there so you can have a great experience. And so the preparation comes when you study information about the area that you're going to. So you've looked at a map, you feel confident about the area, you've read trail reports, so you have a heads up on what other people have to say about the area. You know, they add all sorts of details that are really, really helpful to these trail reports. We did this when we were preparing for our Mount Hood hike, especially because we knew we would have to cross Elliott Wash, where officially the trail was closed. So officially, you could not go all the way around Mount Hood because of this washout. And the washout occurred several years ago, and so people had started to establish some routes through Elliott Wash. But we started out very uncomfortable, and we read trail report after trail report. We looked at pictures and descriptions that people posted as they documented their experience going through Elliott Wash. 
we got as prepared as we could for that Elliott Wash crossing, and it really helped out a lot. It was still an intense experience for us, but I think our preparedness helped make it a good kind of intense, where when we finished, we felt so good about what we had done, and we knew we had done something really hard, but that preparation really helped us to be ready for that crossing. And we did similar preparations before we almost went to the Wallawas. There was a wildfire right on the border near where we would be hiking. And then because of that fire, there was an increase in bees and hornets. So there were all these issues that we knew about that we could prepare for in advance. And that helped us feel a little more confident. And of course, as we got closer, we found out there was going to be lots of snow. And then our confidence just plummeted and we went somewhere else (laughs) where there was liquid snow. It was great. And there's always the weather report because that's a little different each time. I mean, a lot of other reports you can read up and you know that your experience is going to be pretty similar to whatever someone wrote up. But the weather is this variable that gets thrown in there and it's just different from day to day. And so you've always got to watch those weather reports. And sometimes they help you to be more prepared because you know where the temperatures are going to be or where the precipitation is going to be. Other times they motivate you to make the call to go somewhere else. The number four way to have a great time backpacking, even if you didn't like it the first time, is to respectfully zip it. I always tell my kids before they speak, it has to pass through three gates. Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? So I'm not saying that there's no room for an honest breakdown of what went wrong on your first trip and what to do different about it the next time. But maybe when you feel like pointing out the obvious negative, that might be a really great opportunity to try looking for the gem of hidden beauty that you might have missed if you just focused on the negative. And this is the hardest thing. And I feel like the world's biggest hypocrite in sharing this one because, yes, the principle of zip it is not within my grasp yet. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I have a couple things to say. Oh, I bet you do. (laughs) (laughs) And I am finished speaking. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) The floor is yours. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Should I uh, address you as Madam Speaker? (laughs) (laughs) I like that you said that there's still room for making an honest breakdown of what happened on a trip. And I feel like it's important to give yourself room to experience negative things. You don't have to try to turn them into a positive. Sometimes they just are negative. And maybe you can learn from it Maybe sometimes you can't even figure out what to learn from it. You just had a bad day. Something was negative, and it's okay. You know, you can wake up tomorrow. It's another day. Move on. But I've noticed, like with our kids, they usually bring an attitude with them into an experience right at the beginning, and it colors the rest of their experience. So if they're not looking forward to a particular trip, you can tell from the moment that we're getting ready and packing the van And then that negative attitude persists. And it could be the greatest trip in the world. But because they came into it with that negative attitude, looking for the bad, they see everything that's bad, even things that are actually good, appear in their eyes to be bad. And so I think it's really helpful when you're starting out on a trip and you're having some bad things happen to just hold off the judgment for a little while. You know, just experience them collect them in your mind, whatever, 
but hold off being too vocal about it until you've given the trip a chance, I guess. You may just need to get into it a little bit and things will kind of turn around. And we've seen that on many trips that we've been on where there's some really rough starts. I don't know why. And then things kind of smooth out and we end up having a wonderful trip. And the last way to have a great time backpacking, even if you didn't like it the first time, is to just laugh about it. You know, there are so many weird and awkward things about backpacking. Squatting by a tree being one of the weirdest, awkwardest things that happens out in the woods. But, you know, you don't even have to laugh about it while it's happening. You can just catalog it. Save it for later, and when you look back on it, you'll see the humor. You'll be able to just kind of, I guess, turn that bad experience into a great story. So at least if you don't have a great time, you'll have a great story. Well, I hope this is a top five list that's useful, especially maybe to share with a friend or loved one who just didn't have that ideal experience the first time out, and you're trying to help them try it again. And these are some great things to keep in mind. Get a sense of what's normal, write down your experience, increase your preparedness, sometimes just zip it, be quiet for a while and collect those experiences, and hey, laugh. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Hickey's Responsive Lacing System. I love shoes that just slip on, and yes, I know how to tie my own laces, But I love shoes that I don't need to babysit and always be retying or keeping the laces out of the mud. I love slip-ons. And it seems like whenever I wear my running shoes with regular shoelaces, they're always getting snagged on brush or the laces are getting waterlogged as I walk through grasses and they get untied around mid-morning. And then I also have the princess and the pea problem of one shoe being tied tighter than the other shoe. Like I can never get them tied equally. And that drives me crazy. So I keep untying, loosening, tying it again. Oh, that's too tight. So I have to retie it. So the Hickey's responsive lacing system solves all of that. And their little slogan is never tie your sneakers again. So these are made from a memory fit performance elastomer. So basically, it's a smart rubber band, and it fits inside the holes where your shoelaces would go. So on one end of the hickey, there's a knob, and on the other end, there's a loop. So you loop it through the eyelets in your shoes, and the loop goes over the knob, so you have a seamless look that is extremely secure. So let me see if I'm picturing this right. If you have a shoe, and it has a single fabric lace that's a couple feet long, you know, and it and it loops through all of these holes in the shoe. And say you've got like six pairs of holes running up your shoe. So you're gonna take the lace all the way out, right? Because you're gonna replace it with these hickeys. And if you've got six pairs of holes running up your shoes, then does that mean you're gonna have six hickeys, six pieces? Correct. Okay. And what's cool about the hickeys is that there are three different lacing techniques. So you can do the regular fit, which is probably what you're all imagining in your mind right now, where you just put the hickey in on the left, loop it through the right, and attach the ends in the middle. Okay. Then there's the tight fit, and that's where you take two hickeys and you crisscross them, and then you attach the ends across from each other. You make an X underneath where the tongue is, but when you attach them across from each other, they just go straight across. So one hickey attaches to the end of the other? Right. 
Okay. You got it. Okay, then there's the loose fit. And this is the one that I was the most comfortable with. I love loose fitting shoes. So you would insert the hickeys vertically through the eyelets, but then connect them horizontally. It's kind of tricky to explain, but if you see the picture, it's really easy to do. And we'll put a link in the show notes so you can go straight to the Hickey's website and check out the three different lacing techniques. And today's show notes are found at thefirst40miles.com slash 062. In terms of mass, a hickey is about four and a half inches long. And a whole box of hickeys weighs half an ounce or 14 grams. That's 14 hickeys, so that's usually enough to do both of your shoes. And of course, these are replacing your existing shoelaces, which probably weigh just a tiny bit less than the hickeys. However, if your shoelaces get waterlogged, they're going to weigh more than these hickeys. More than double. So for all of you gram weenies out there that are not only counting the grams, but maybe the micrograms, (laughs) the milligrams, the nanograms, this is a good option for you. And keep in mind, depending on your shoes, you may not even use an entire box of hickeys. So I guess what we're saying is that in terms of weight, this is pretty much a wash compared to your traditional shoelaces. And then if your shoes get wet, uh, these are going to be much lighter than your wet shoelaces. As far as maintenance goes, these really don't require maintenance. However, if you do have extras after your finished lacing, you may want to keep a couple of those in your 10 essentials just in case you have a hickeys issue on the trail, then you can easily slide another one in. Have you ever had one break or get stretched out funny or anything? No, in fact, one of the things they say about them on the website is that they expand and contract responsively. Not responsibly, but responsively. (laughs) So they've got some good elastomer that makes these hickeys, so they're not going to just snap and fly off your foot on the trail. These are meant to be a performance replacement for shoelaces. Something that I mentioned a couple minutes ago was that shoelaces always need that constant maintenance. You're always tying and untying or trying to get it to fit just right. And these will always stay the same. So once you get the hickeys in, whether you use the regular, the tight, or the loose fit, they'll always maintain that fit for you. And you'll never have to tie your laces again on the trail. So do your shoes become slip-ons? Like they have enough elasticity to them that you're going to just slip your foot in and yet they're still grabbing tight enough. They still have a tight enough pull. Okay. So one thing I can imagine, you know, even though the hickeys are going to stay at the same tightness, there's a couple other variables. One is your foot. Your foot is going to enlarge throughout a long day of hiking. So that's something to keep in mind. And the other is your clothing. You may go from one thin pair of socks to two pairs of socks, depending on the weather. And that's going to affect your fit as well. That's so true. And one thing that I really liked about the hickeys was that they're so easy to install. You know, you don't need any special gear or you don't need a screwdriver or anything. You just slide them in the hole. So if you did want to loosen things up, you could just unhook the loop from the little knob and leave them dangling in your shoe. They would probably stay pretty well in there because the loop is kind of rounded and the knob would definitely stay in your shoe. Or you could just relace for a looser fit. For investment, it's about 10 to $15 for a box, depending on what style you purchase. And then there's the $350 hickeys. And these are on their website, too. You've just got to go check them out. They're the black label hickeys. And they have 14 karat gold fastenings. They're hand-assembled, and they come in a beautiful box. 
And there's no way I'd take those on the trail. No way. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I would maybe buy $350 shoes, but I don't know about $350 shoelaces. And you're like, you better not buy $350 shoes. <laughs> I'm just saying, priorities, people. Priorities. Yeah, that's okay. a lot for a shoelace replacement. <laughs> I'm just, you know, in my head, I'm adding up how many shoelaces I could buy for $350. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that would last me more than the rest of my life, since I think I rarely even buy more than one pair of shoelaces for a shoe. Uh, for a pair of shoes. I think it's really targeted toward the pro basketball players who want to show off some bling on the court and impress oh, yeah. everyone. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> These are probably not for backpacking. Well, as far as trial goes, I've already said I'm not a fan of traditional shoelaces. I've been looking for something different for a long time. So these are a great option. You can slide your foot right in without having to tie anything. They're easy to put in and super simple to take out. They can really be used in any size shoe. They can be reused. They can be transferred to other shoes. They're durable, flexible. And if you're into blinging up your shoes, it's kind of a fun way to personalize your shoes. There's tons of different colors. so. Okay, so wait a minute. My dress shoes are always coming untied. So uh, would the black label hickeys with the uh, 14-karat gold fastenings, would they look all right in my dress shoes? <laughs> Do they sell anything else that would look all right in my dress shoes? I think they sell just black also. Black might work. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Maybe I'll check out just black. For today's backpack hack of the week, Keep your Ziploc from tipping over. Lots of people like to make their own dehydrated meals. It's kind of fun. Like, you know the ingredients that go in. You can take along family favorite recipes. Yeah, and you usually put them in these Ziploc bags. The nice sturdy ones, the freezer bags. But then you have this problem where you boil your water, you dump it into the bag to let the meal rehydrate. And the problem is these Ziploc bags just flop over and you end up spilling everything. Not only do they flop over, but you can't really hold it in your hand because the plastic's so thin that it end up burning your hand. So if you're looking for an ODA solution for your plastic bag so it won't tip over and it won't scald your hand, simply place the full Ziploc bag inside of your cooled mug. And that's all there is to it. Your mug will provide the structure to hold the bag up, but the bag keeps all the food contained so you don't have to wash your mug. And even if you used your mug to boil water and it's really hot, chances are that it's going to cool down really quickly, especially if you have an aluminum mug or titanium. The metal is so thin that it's going to cool down within a matter of seconds, and you'll be able to put your Ziploc bag inside the mug without melting the plastic. So there you go. I think that's about one of the simplest backpack hacks we've ever shared. Super easy, but super helpful. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Henry David Thoreau. He wrote this in A Week on the Concord and Merrimack Rivers in 1849. He said, So far as my experience goes, travelers generally exaggerate the difficulties of the way. I think it depends on which traveler you're talking to. Yeah, do you generally exaggerate the difficulties of the way, or do you just let them dissipate? Or do you even minimize them? We'd love to hear comments. Just hop on Facebook or Twitter and respond to this episode post. Tell us what you think. 
That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on the first 40 miles. very brilliant that's okay you'll think of something (laughs) something to fill the void the awkward silence so you pour the water into the bag to let the meal dehydrated well to let the meal dehydrate (laughs) (laughs) should i just say that whole thing over again (laughs) might be easier okay